Welcome back, listeners, to our final episode of season one, at least for now. So we left off with Isis's capital falling to the followers of self-declared feminist icon Abdullah Ocalan. Uh, and mm-hmm. the campaign to defeat ISIS territorially would last for more than a year following the battle for Raqqa. But where we last left off in last episode is uh, really the high watermark of the Rojava revolution, at least so far. Uh, and this actually yeah. brings me to one of the lasting problems created by the defeat of ISIS. What to do with all the ISIS members who were taken alive? So. When, when ISIS's last stronghold, Baguz, fell, some 64,000 women and children, most of whose, hu- whose husbands and fathers had died defending the last sliver of the caliphate, would wind up in the same IDP camps as refugees who were not, you know, hardcore ISIS supporters. What did you say, IDP? Uh, internally displaced person. Roger that. So the most infamous of these camps was called Al-Hol. And to quote an article from The Guardian, Al-Hol camp quickly became the focal point of a new humanitarian crisis starring unsympathetic protagonists. Set up in 2016 to house around 10,000 ordinary Syrians and Iraqis who had fled the group, suddenly Mm -hmm. it had a large, huge influx of new and in some cases dangerous arrivals. The camp was already a dire place, with little health care provision and no educational facilities. The overcrowding mm-hmm. meant conditions deteriorated fast. Overwhelmed guards from the local Kurdish-led forces had struggled to keep order as the women of ISIS have set about recreating the strict rules of the caliphate in their new home. A total of 12,000 women who were not Syrian or Iraqi and their 27,000 children were separated from the rest of the camp in a gated annex in order to cool some of the pre-existing tensions between the local and foreign ISIS women. Inside the foreign section, a core of Tunisian, Somali, and Central Asian women began to issue orders to the others. Knives were stolen from kitchen kits and handed out by charities... uh, Knives were stolen from kitchen kits handed out by charities and used to stab and kill guards as well as any woman suspected of spying for the guards. Stories such as that, such as that of, of an Azerbaijani woman who smothered her 14-year-old granddaughter to death for refusing to wear the niqab outside her tent have become commonplace. So what's the significance of highlighting women here? Is that an only, like, women's well, camp or something? Well, because you don't have many male ISIS supporters in the camp because they were already killed fighting for ISIS. Oh, I see. So, so they, they kind of... Um, so the vast majority around. of ISIS supporters in the camp are women and children. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, the situation in the main section of the camp where Syrians and Iraqis live is likewise shitty. Uh, so... Effectively, the SDF is left with the lingering problem of what to do with all the people who are still very much pro-ISIS, but like, now that ISIS territorially doesn't exist anymore. And it is a problem that they're facing to this day, especially as foreign governments, where a lot of those, as I mentioned, like, foreign ISIS members came from, 
have refused to take back their citizens. Which all right, so real quick before we before we we move on, I just want to summarize that. So this is this is a bunch of internally displaced people in one of these camps that everyone is in. It's called Al Hol, and it has Syrians who are living poorly, Iraqis who are living poorly, and ISIS supporters who are equally all living poorly. Is that correct? Well, more than that, the ISIS supporters, both the Syrian and Iraqi members of ISIS, and the foreign members of ISIS who came to Syria and Iraq, like back when ISIS was a thing, are effectively terrorizing all the non-ISIS IDPs. So, I'm trying to get the Venn diagram straight here. There are Syrians. Some of them are ISIS supporters. Some of them are normal Syrians. There are Iraqis. Some of them are ISIS supporters. Some of them are normal Iraqis. And the ISIS supporters are kind of messing with everyone else. Yes, and there are also people who are not from Syria or Iraq, and pretty right. much all of them are ISIS. Okay, got it. And, then and a bunch of them are kids. Like, you have stories of... Uh, ISIS women, like, having their kids, like, trip some uh, apogee guard and, like, try to douse them in fuel and set them on fire or something. Wow. Yes, and then the, the majority of people in this, in this camp are, are women because a lot of men were killed in combat. Yes. Okay. Uh, however, the situation in Al-Hal was was and is overshadowed by another far larger and more immediate threat to the very existence of Rojava's revolution. Because by the time the last ISIS holdout of Baguz had fallen, Rojava had already been invaded from the north by NATO's second largest army. So, in, 20, in 2018, Turkey invaded the region of Afrin, which up until that point had been all but untouched by the Syrian civil war. Now, Turkey could not have done this if not for the at least tacit approval of the U.S. and Russia, which, spoiler alert, is going to come up again this episode. So Rojava was invaded by Turkey? Yes. Okay, with the approval of the U.S. and Russia. Well, not approval so much as they're not really going to stop them. But yes. Right, so they kind of turned a blind eye to Rojava being invaded. Yes. Uh, now, Avi, three guesses as to what the Turkish state did once it took over Afrin. Uh, okay, first guess. They opened up uh, a bunch of cereal factories and kept their people well-fed. Wrong. Okay, second guess. They opened up a bunch of lunch factories and kept their people well-fed. Wrong. Okay, third guess. They opened up a bunch of Dinner. Mm. Okay, yeah, final offer. Dinner factories. Dinner factories. It has to be. It has to be. All three questions wrong. The real answer was war crimes and ethnic cleansing. Um, oh, should have been war crimes and ethnic cleansing. I should have according to the UN, an alarming pattern of grave violations has been documented in these areas in recent months, such as increased killings, kidnappings, and unlawful transfers of people, as well as seizures of land and properties. Uh, 
The same article, which I should mention was published last year, says that since January, at least 116 civilians were killed in these areas, and some 463 injured by improvised explosive devices and explosive remnants of war. Those killed included 15 women, 20 boys, and two girls. Now, staff have documented the abduction and disappearance of civilians, including women and children. The fate of some of them remains unknown. Meanwhile, a rise in infighting among the groups over power sharing has put civilian lives and civilian infrastructure at risk. Now, Turkish-affiliated arms groups have also seized and looted homes, land, and other properties without any apparent military necessity, and have occupied many of them with their own families. Mm -hmm. So all the statistics I listed are dated. Uh, those, those numbers will have gone up since this article was published. Okay. But now I'd like to take some time to talk about those Turkish-affiliated groups. So when the Syrian civil war first broke out, uh, the Free Syrian Army was a pretty secular, progressive force. But by this point in the story, most of those guys have either died or joined the SDF. Uh, and the Free Syrian Army Turkey is supporting is a collection of various mercenary and jihadist groups. All right, what's the SDF? Syrian Democratic Forces. They're, they're the Ocalan supporters. Okay. You also have literally Al-Qaeda also operating under Turkish protection in Afrin. Okay. So this is what happens to Afrin once Turkey has driven out all of the leftists and oppoists. Uh, now, AKA Rojava. Yes. And we've got this far without really talking about the elephant in the room. Because... Now we get to the part in the story where after hundreds of thousands of Kurds, including one of Syria's last remaining Yazidi communities, have been driven out of Afrin, Turkey's going to start bussing in Arab settlers, quite often the families of their mercenaries and jihadist proxies. Hmm. Uh, and just like that, Afrin was ethnically cleansed. Uh, it's, it used to be majority Kurdish. Mm -hmm. Now... Most of the Kurds who lived there have been forced to flee. Uh, a preview of the genocidal nightmare that could become a reality with a full Turkish conquest of what's left of Rojava. And Turkey is specifically targeting people that are and are like look Kurdish, or is it like um, they're specifically targeting targeting Kurds? Yes, they. Okay. Yes, Turkey is effectively just trying to create a, well, I mean, in, in the Turkish president Erdogan's own words, he wants to create a safety corridor along the Turkish border, which in practice for the Turkish state means a non-Kurdish zone. So they are hmm. effectively trying to ethnic, ethnically cleanse the Kurdish population in the parts of Rojava they're taking over. Okay. And a year later, in 2019, that conquest would continue. So I'm going to quote, and this is, this is the one you heard about on the news a year and a half ago, uh, when with Trump pulling out troops from the border and Turkey invading. Yeah. So I'm going to quote from a Crime Think article about how this went down. Turkey started their offensive a few days after Trump announced U.S. withdrawal from Syria. 
This would have, this was all staged. The U.S. would not leave the oil fields so easily, and they have not. In the months before the invasion, the U.S. Army positioned itself as a broker, making different deals with Turkey and the SDF on the pretext of ensuring a quote-unquote peaceful solution. In the end, to the frustration of many, the SDF cooperated, taking down several defensive positions, withdrawing heavy weaponry 30 kilometers from the border, uh, and diminishing the number of staff at the border military points, and letting Turkish armed vehicles patrol with U.S. vehicles within the liberated zone. None of this mattered. Trump made his reckless decision. In the end, all of these steps just weakened the defense and made it easier for Erdogan and his jihadist proxies to invade. Mm -hmm. So Turkey and its proxies would take over a strip of territory in the north of Rojava, including the city of Serakanye, uh, bringing with them the same bru brutality and ethnic cleansing that they had made use of in Afrin, and driving a fresh wave of refugees uh, south. Now, when this happened, there was a lot of media coverage that painted this as like the end of Rojava. Like when we began this podcast, I believe you weren't even aware that uh, that the Kurdish revolutionaries still controlled anything in Syria. Yeah, I don't think it was. Yeah, so it wasn't the end of Rojava. The, the SDF was forced to allow the Assad regime to station troops on the front line with Turkey. But a lot of people said this was the Syrian regime taking over Rojava, and that's just not what was happening. The autonomous administration is still just that, autonomous. And mm -hmm. so this is the limbo the Rojava revolution finds itself stuck in to this day. But that limbo can't last forever, and sooner or later, something is going to give, be it the Turkish regime, or more likely, honestly, the U.S. pulling out further to make way for a continuation of Turkey's invasion. And, of course, all of this is in the realm of speculation in which we now find ourselves. So, yeah. we're, bro we're both grossly unqualified for this, but before we close out Season 1, Avi, what do you think the future holds for all the stuff we've talked about in Season 1? Well, I I think you're completely correct when you say we're grossly unqualified for this because this is like asking a a three year old how to do algebra. I have absolutely no idea, but uh, I just hope there are less you know ethnic cleansings and less war crimes to to report on next time. Indeed, less less ethnic cleansing is always a good thing to hope for. So, mm -hmm. with that. There you have it, audience. Season one, history they don't teach. It's now been taught, so I guess we have to change our name. Dang it. Told you this would happen, Michael. We didn't listen. No, you just wanted to name it, but no. It's not. Oh, whatever. well. Oh, well. <laughs>